Hello everybody and welcome to the audio blog, the podcast which just changes every time. And I'm sat in a dark room, and I literally am, and um, if you saw it, then hey-ho. I did on the Forbidden Corner, I talked about my Asperger's, but I did it in a very less detailed way, and um, I'm going to talk about that on this podcast. I'm also going to talk about... Um, things that have really struck me this week um, But I want to talk about something exciting first Last night, ladies and gentlemen Last night I had a go on the yellow slide at Splash World uh, My mother listen, doesn't listen to these podcasts uh, Because she probably thinks these are like my Facebook live videos And uh, my sisters don't know about these podcasts. So um, if you guys are listening on Spotify, um, just don't play them in front of my sister. Just, you know, just listen to them on your own. Um, This is like sort of a me and you time, you know, like secret podcast type of thing that you found. And uh, hey-ho. So anyway, um, I decided last night I was going to try something new. We went to Splash World. It was... The quiet night um, with a club that I go to. We'd already been in the sports hall. Well, I actually got there a fair bit late, so I always seem to miss the sports hall. When it's quiet night, they're not in the sports hall for long. So we went in the changing rooms and we went in to Splash World. Um, I had got changed into my trunks by that point. Um, I'd been to the loo and um, I was quite anxious and. Um, I went in the pool, um, and Josh was there, and Christina was there, and um, the the they've been on the podcast before. Um, well, Josh has. I don't think Christina has, but anyway, um, they took me on the yellow slide. <laughs> they took me on the yellow slide, um, and it was brilliant. Um, it was. It was. Um, it's it's a new slide. I had not tried it before. I've done the tube slides before, but this was a different one, and. Um, so if you want my review of it, um, I'll give it now. So first of all, I'd been told by a few people that it was quite a scary slide. And you do go, well, you don't go over the side, but you go up onto the side. So I thought, oh, well, I've got to try this. And so I got up the top. I'm really nervous. And um, Christina and the lifeguard, they said, right, do you want to stand in the pool? I was like, yeah, right. Now, I didn't know there's a pool at the top of the slide. They said, no, you don't go any further. You'll just start going down the slide. Um, so I wanted to feel the actual slide. And the lifeguard put my hand on the slide. And she said, right, that's where it is. So I can't bring any further because you'll start going down it. So I thought, oh, this is quite flat. So I thought, all right. I thought, what if I want to go back? She said, I can pull you out. So, so I was holding on. So Christina's like, Hold on to my ring. So I hold on to her ring. And we started going. I'm like, oh no, oh no. I don't turn back. So um, I was like, where's the worst part? Anyway, the worst part was over, really. Um, you don't actually go over the side. Um, you kind of go... Um, the sides are really huge. Um, you basically... Um, how can I put it? Um, have you ever sat in a baby pool in a ring and slid around? 
That's basically what it's like. <laughs> There's only one really cool bit where um, if it like you get enough momentum to kind of um, like jump. I managed to jump my ring actually, and um, because I've like surfed kayaks and stuff. And in fact, here's another thing um, for anyone who's done a seal launch. It actually feels like you're doing a massive seal launch. Um, it'd be great if you could just launch a kayak down down there. In fact, it would be much more fun going down there in a kayak. probably be very dangerous to do, but um, hey-ho, um, I bet you it would feel more, you know, um, you know, get those little kayaks. You could, probably, you could probably do it in a kayak. I'm sure you could sort of like... Um, you know, um, whether someone's done that, um, I don't know, but, you know, the rubber ring, it feels, I mean, obviously, you don't go quite fast, because the ring sort of slows you down, so you haven't really got that much momentum in the ring, it's not like, you know, like, when you're in a tube slide, you can build the speed up, because if you hold the water back, so basically, if I'm actually going to say now, if you go to Splash World, right, the notices say to lie back and have your arms across your chest, which is which is true. But if you want to go faster, um, basically hold your arms back at the beginning, so you've got a bit of water, and it's like so you've got a bit of momentum, if you've got a bit of speed. Now I don't hold my arms back the whole way because. Um, I want to be able to go faster towards the end. Um, so, you know, that cheap slide I've got to a T. And I'm going to do it again in, in a couple of weeks. But the yellow slide, I quite enjoy it. It's a really, you know, I would say it's a smooth ride. I'd say to anybody who doesn't like water slides, it's not really what you'd call a water slide. It's like just sliding around in a baby pool. Um, you know... Um, Sliding around in a baby pool with um, a seal launch towards the end. If you've ever been in a kayak and you've done seal launches, it's basically the same feeling as a seal launch. Um, the only disappointment to that slide um, was you couldn't spin. I couldn't spin myself. And then Josh said, oh, I've spun myself, but I've gone backwards down the last bit. I was like, okay, well, I'm not going to spin myself. But I am still going to try it. Um, you know, I'll probably... Um, I'll probably regret it, mind. Uh, but I'm going to try and spin myself on that slide. Um, if it's anything like the one in Centre Parks, yeah, I probably will go down backwards. Because the um, they've got this slide in, in Centre Parks. In fact, literally, the slide with the ring... Is like the uh, is like the slide in Cent is like the slide in Centre Parks, um, but it isn't as f well. It's fun, but it's kind of um, it it could do with a it could do with a bit of a dip on it. I think it could do with a bit of a dip to start because you haven't got that. Um, how can I put this? It's not like... Um, I mean, they've designed it well, obviously. They have to design... I don't know how they design water slides, but... Um, yeah. Um, I suppose it's one that you could supposedly start on. 
Um, now, obviously, if you've never been on this slide before in your life, there's nothing to worry about, honest. Um, nothing to worry about. Um, if you don't want to fall out your ring or anything, I would choose a big ring. I had a big ring. Um, and you basically, what you do is you sit in the ring and um, you just hold on for dear life. And then you just go down. <laughs> Nothing to it, really. Nothing to it. Um, you know, and the lifeguards can get you out at any point. So it's, you know, it's not like you're going down a tube. Um, you know, and the lifeguard that was... T- uh, that was at the top, she said, I don't like the tube slides, but she said, I love this slide, she said, so, you know, it's literally like sliding around in a baby pool, um, you know, it's literally, I mean, next week, I'm going to try and build a bit more momentum, I might even try and sit a bit more onto the ring, uh, because one thing I have learnt is that if you're not, it's, 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 I would treat this like doing a seal launch in a kayak. Make sure you sat in the right position. Um, if you know anything about seal launches in kayaks, you have to sit straight. Again, I would sit straight uh, because because um, you're going to go in like, you know, you're going to you're going to launch nicely. Um, and it's strange because I could balance the ring Um all my friends, they were tipping out their rings and stuff, but I was I was balancing my ring. Um, so it must have something to do with, uh, you know, being able to do seal launches in kayaks, and I've done those correctly. And I could launch, and I could surf, and launch at the same time. And this was something else, right? You can actually surf waves as well. So like, you can make your own waves, and then whatever. Um, when you go down the last bit, of the slide to do a proper launch you need to get some decent momentum in which I did um, because I built some speed and um, and your ring will literally jump Um, you will feel the launch Um, in fact I crashed into my friend's ring in fact I crashed into her ring and then I crashed into somebody else and I crashed into somebody else (laughs) <laughs> Same time, I had a massive crash. Oh yeah, and I crashed into the lifeguard as well. That was brilliant. The lifeguard was at the end waiting for me, and I crashed into him. So um, yeah, all in all, it's pretty good fun, and um, it's it's like the yellow slide at Centre Parks, but without the corners aren't wild um, it spins a bit more and again if you like the teacups if you are a teacup fan like me right? if you like spinny rides like me you should do this slide you should really do this if you like um, has anybody ever been in a speedboat and you go over a wave right, really quick there's that feeling as well on the slide um there's literally everything you would want in the slide. I call it the motorbike slide because um, my mother wouldn't let me go on a motorbike. I've actually been on one since then. And she wouldn't let me go on this slide either. So it's got its official name. And uh, I'm also going to call it the seal launch slide as well because it gives you a real good seal launch. 
Um, unfortunately, um, I want to be able to. I want to be able to launch myself properly into the into the last bit. Unfortunately, here's another thing. Right, the pool isn't deep enough to do a proper launch. So your ring just skimmies across the water. It's like, you know, it's like that as well. But um, I mean, the the water is deep enough to do like, you know, if you wanted to do some proper sort of flips and stuff out the ring, you probably could. Um, you know, not like I would um, do anything like that, of course. But and I'd say the scary part of the slide, the scariest bit is that long bit at the bottom because it actually looks longer than it is and it's not long at all um you know but it's a smooth slide um it's not like the tubes where it's too fast or too slow or too claustrophobic um it's just nice it's just a nice ride if you if you want in sort of like if you go to splash world and you think "Mm, i want to try a slide i don't want to go in a tube the yellow slide's the only option um, I would go for it seriously. Um, go for a big ring because you're not going to tip out of it. Um, two, sit straight in the ring. Um, and three, make sure you go with somebody and hold on to their ring. I did that, you know, did those three things. If you feel confident, um, you can let go of their ring. They're always going to be in front of you so you can still speak to them. Um, you can still wave to people and stuff. The lifeguards are nearby. It's it's a it's a slide you should you should check out first. It's it's one of them. You should just do it. You should just go down it. Um, there's much more to be said, and of course there's people to hold your ring at the top so you can just you can just get in the ring like a kayak. You should treat the ring like a kayak because um, you know um, I mean obviously I sat on it like a chair. You know it's like a nice little chair. Um, you know, make sure you slide back into the ring. So get into a good position and then go for it. Could I scream, am I telling people how to go down, <laughs> down water slides? This should be, I don't know. <sighs> but, um, yeah, I was I was quite scared going down that slide. But I did it and loved it. And I went on that slide about... I loved it that much. Now, of course, for people who know me um, and if they know that I like something... <laughs> Um, I went, I have to I have to do it more than once, more than once, because the first time just is like, oh, why was I scared of that? I've got to do it again just to prove I'm not scared of it. <laughs> the the slide at, Ske- at Center Parks, I'll tell you, uh, that was funny. It was the same thing. I was really scared at the start, and then I got shoved down it. I'm like, ah, oh, no, I'm going. <laughs> but um. My my sister took me on that slide, um, and um, she made sure she stayed in front of me all the way, even though she's a lot quicker than me on that slide. Um, but of course, um, that slide in Centre Parks, um, I don't really go down it slow, but I don't I, I don't really go down it fast either. I like to control myself going down that slide, but. I learnt on my last ride on that slide to um, to not to just I don't know to just um, just just let let yourself go down it, you know. 
Um, I mean, if you go up upside down, you're still able to come up, which I did on the last go on that slide. I went upside down, Um, which in actual fact, it's strange when you go upside down. Um, It's just um, you just got to let it happen. I mean, this this, the the ring slide, there's no way that you're going to come up, come out upside down because um, unless your ring tips, but. Um, again, if you stay in the ring, if he's, I mean, I can balance on water because I can balance a kayak. Um, and my balance is rubbish. But when I'm on water, um, my balance is very different. Um, I mean, I can balance those little floats. Okay, I've capsized them a few times, but, um, I can balance those, like, I can balance on them floats. Um, you know, and that's where you get your practice, really. Floats or... You can... If you do, like, a surfboard, go on, like, a surfboard or something. Um, you know, something that's a bit more tippy to it. And, obviously, you can then learn... Oh, well, you, you know... But... If you do a bit of kayaking, you'll know that you can tip yourself off the kayak... Um, and obviously really enjoy that experience. Um, I will say though, the yellow slide, it was, um, was fantastic. And next week I'm going to do it for a start for a, a warm up slide before I go on the tube slides. Cause I'm going to do, I might, I've, I've thought doing now I'm used to the yellow slide. I've thought maybe of doing, um, a course where I start on the, Yellow slide, the family slide, and then finish on the blue slide. So I'll do a course round the three slides, and obviously hoping that, um, hoping that obviously, um, and obviously if you want to do something like test out the yellow slide, you're best going on the quiet night because the the lifeguards have got more time to, you know, do what they need to do. Um, you know, the yellow slides. Obviously, if you know your stuff. Um, it's fine, but if you don't know your stuff, it's not, and, um, you know, just give you, you know, just give more people time, I tend to, if there's a friend, usually, that's not been on a slide before, um, I tend to give them enough time, but if I know what I'm doing, I'll just go straight for that slide, I now know that the yellow slide is pretty new, and I'm gonna go, I'm just gonna go straight for it, next time I, uh, next time I go in to Splash World, which will be next week, I'm just going to make a beeline for the yellow slide. That'll be, um, that'll be the, the one to go for. Because, um, you know, I'm, I know I'll definitely want to go on it. And, uh, you know, uh, my friend calls it the washing machine. I call it the motorbike slide. Um, it's a lot better than the washing machine, uh, better than a washing machine. But it's like a teacup. I mean, if anyone's ever been on a teacup, um, you know, the cup and saucer, it's got that feeling. I'm some sure you can spin yourself on it. I've never tried. Um, I need to ask the lifeguards if you can spin yourself on it because, hey, if you can spin yourself on it, that is going to be an added bonus. That's going to be an added bonus, isn't it? You know, spin yourself on a slide, that's going to be... That's that's just going to be like added bonus. And if I can spin myself really, really, really fast on it, um, 
that's going to be an added bonus too. So it'd be like a slide that I can spin myself on. Um, and really enjoy. So anyway, enough on slides. And we're going to get onto the podcast now, which is, well, we've talked quite a fair bit on slides. I think I'm going to just carry on and talk about stuff. Well, I think um, I've talked about on the hidden corner about being an Asbarian and what my diagnosis was and everything. Um, I've spoke to a lot of people about autism. Um, but one thing that people ask me is, did I ever have anxiety? Um, you know, now before I, before I go on, I want to give a full disclaimer in saying that everybody has anxiety. Um, a lot of people on the autism spectrum feel more anxiety than others. And I fully respect that. I tell you now, I fully respect it. I know people are more anxious about, say, for example, going to a new place um, or they're anxious about, um, I don't know, a particular thing. There's there's a reason to why they're they're anxious. Um, Obviously, there's obviously a kid there that's going to bully them. I I really don't know. But whatever you're anxious about... um, you know, in my day, people will, will you say, snap out of it or whatever, hoping that everything could be cured. But it, it never worked. Um, they didn't always work. Because I, I tried, like, um, I used to be anxious about my homework, handing that in. Um, every time they would say, have you got your homework? And if you didn't have it, there was detention. Um, and I don't know, I just. Teachers would suspect you to do something. Um, hoping that you could do it. You know, um, so I, I, don't, I just didn't like English. I didn't like reading. I didn't like anything. Um, most of those points. Um, and so, obviously, when I left school and entered college. Things got better, but I don't know. I just didn't. I wasn't interested in them because I didn't want that anxiety to come back. You know? 
so that's why you know i that was where my you know my anxiety came in but people didn't understand it because it was like at the time i just had a visual impairment and nothing else um they wanted me to cut everything out my imaginary friends the way i did things it was just a bad habit there was no way you know, they're talking to yourself, or it's just a bad habit. It's it's not. There's no way that that they could see that it wasn't. Um, and people are asking me this question all the time. You know, like you really expect that this is gonna. Happen or something. And and you know, I think people just have people are just different that you know some people experience anxiety. On a much more higher level. I've got a friend who's. Um, got. Higher anxiety levels. And. Um, I help that person every. Every day. Um, and. I've got a couple of people who are anxious. Over stuff, you know. Um, and I help them every time. And I I do get anxious sometimes. But my anxiety levels are very different. Um, and some people saying. Um, what are your thoughts on stimulating in public? Or stimming in public? What are my thoughts on it? Um. It should be done. Um, it's healthy. Stimming is healthy. Flapping hands is healthy. Um, playing with a sensory toy is is healthy. Um, you know, there's a lot of people that that I encourage stimming a lot. You know, um, stuff like you know, it could be, it could like. You could use anything to to stim. Um, do I stim? Not so much. Um, I don't. I have stimulation toys, but I don't. I have sensory toys. Excuse me. I use one of them for stimming. Not so much out and about these days, but in my personal time. But. Um, yeah, stimming is is a good way. It's a good coping mechanism, as long as you are not doing it to harm yourself or harm others. It shouldn't be too bad. Um, I had a couple of stimming when I was in my early years before I got my Asperger's diagnosis. I used to do one stimulation thing, which a lot of us people do. A lot of us, um, as bees do, or people with autism do. Um, and I still do it to check, um, if there's a lump, 
if there's something that doesn't feel right, I'll do it to check, but it's not a stimulant thing now. But I used to put my, I'm not going to do it, I used to put my thumb into the roof of my mouth um, quite far back to where there was like a hole. And um, I used to feel it like um, some like relief. You know when you, uh, when you urinate or when you masturbate, um, I'm not swearing by the way, it's, this is the only way I can describe it, that, this, it's the only, it's the only way I can describe anything, but it wasn't harmful, um, it wasn't harmful, and in a way it was healthy, because, um, again I didn't feel strange, I didn't feel like I was getting a kick out of it, but I had, it was one of the things I had to do, um, so I used to put my, my thumb into my mouth and I used to put it to the back, um, the right-hand side. And I knew if there was something wrong, if there was something wrong, if there was something out the ordinary, I could feel it there in my mouth. I could feel it there. And it was quite sensitive. In fact, when my, when my voice was breaking, um, there was a lot of... Um, Issues I had around my around that area around the roof area of the mouth. They call it the gag reflex. I never gagged, but I used to get some very uncomfortable feelings there um, when my voice was breaking. When I got tonsillitis, oh boy, I had tonsillitis quite a few times, um, and when I was sick, um, I still did that sensory thing. I used to get told off for doing it, um, and rightly so. Because it's dangerous. <laughs> it's 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 just dangerous doing that. Um there's people that force themselves to gag. Um uh, I feel sorry for those people because they get a kick out of forcing themselves to gag. Um I never got a kick out of forcing myself to gag. Never. Um Strangely enough. Um eye poking though, I wanna to come to the issue. Eye poking in the visual impairment world, um, there is quite a few people that poke their eyes. But in the autism world as well, there is even, I've read of fully sighted people that have autism that poke their eye. Um, because it's like, um, it gives you the feel of LSD um, experience. I'm, I'm not taking LSD, but it's the only way I can, you know. For me, I poke the eyes for two reasons. It used to start where I was thought in the corner of the eye something was stuck there and it would be itching. Bit of sleep stuck there. But then it got to the point where, oh, right, I'm getting a a little bit of a high out of putting my finger in my eye and moving the eyeball around. I can um, not see colours, but, you know, um, it's just that anything really, it feels feels doesn't feel good but then it doesn't feel right if that makes any sense um so yeah um but you know um i did a lot of things that you know but i try not to eye poke as much these days because again i have my sensory toys um i try with my sensory toys 
so yeah. Uh, but stimming in public, public, I'm moving away from the question. Um, it depends. Um, you shouldn't apologise to people if they are not feeling comfortable with the way you behave. Um, I know there's a lot of people that still... But still, because they've known me for a long time, they're still not comfortable with the things that I do. Um, there's a little switch that turns off. It's like, well, hold on a second. You know, we're not living in those those days now. We're living in a new time. It's It's one of those things. It's like... Um... You know, and I've had people apologising to me because they've been anxious and they've been in my face and um, I've accepted my, I've accepted their apology, but when they've said, I've said, look, I know it's fine. And I, I shock, I shocked an autistic person by doing that because I was I was completely normal about the situation because it's, I just, I'm not, I I just, it just doesn't bother me. It's, um, you know, it's not harming me in any way. Yeah, they were right up in my face, but I knew they were anxious. It's like, you know, and I knew and, um, they were anxious because they wanted their bus to come and everything and they hadn't come on the right time and stuff. And uh, because... Um, well, I actually got to know this person a little bit more later on in a group. But um, I did tell this person, I said, look, I said, you know, you don't need to apologise. Apologise to me by the way you behave in public. I said, just because other people want you to conform... To those ways, they want table readiness. I use that those words. Um, I still can't find a YouTuber that used that. Um, I still use those words, but you don't have to be table ready. You can take this conformative thing. We're not living in the nineties anymore or the early millennium, and people that want you to behave a certain way. The I guess they're worried in a way, but um, people who uncomfortable who are uncomfortable by the way we behave, um, I don't care for them. It there's just a little bit of a punk attitude in me that says I don't care for people who are uncomfortable with the way I am. I'm not harming anybody. There's no intention of me. It's it's strange, um, you know. There's no. It's strange. It's just. Um, if somebody's flapping their hands or whatever, they're not going to harm anybody. It's not like they're hitting out on anybody. Um, you know. I mean, I have been in a few people's personal spaces 
um, by accident. Um, I used to be terrible at it when I was a kid, you know. But when you're at a bus stop and there's very limited space to stand in a bus stop, it's hard to judge the space sometimes. Um, so sometimes it's good if somebody moves or if somebody is able. But if people just stand there, there's nothing that anybody can do. Um, whether they understand you or not is a different thing. Uh, and also there was another time there was an autistic woman on the train and she was on the phone and she was really, really, really anxious about a situation. I can't remember what it was and even if I did, I wouldn't say on the podcast. And um, I just understood. But she was saying on the whole train, I'm autistic and blah, blah, blah. And um, it really angered me that she was trying to make herself feel understood. And I was like, why? You know, somebody is going to understand. I mean, it's a language. Autism's a language. I, I never say that it's a um, a disability or an issue or an illness or anything. It's a language. We speak the language of autism because it's like... It's like people speaking French, but they can speak English as well, you know? <laughs> Fluent French. And then there's maybe somebody who, who who can speak French, but they can't speak English or <laughs> won't speak English. You get those people. And you could just be the interpreter. You can say, oh, yeah, this person wants a bag of crisps, you know? Um, or this person wants to go to the toilet. Um, or this person wants to know where taxi rank is you know um uh, or this person needs help you know this person is in emergency and needs such a thing if you're interpreting that somebody that is what you need to do and i always feel like i am an interpreter to the autism world because i've always had to interpret to other people um how excuse me how autistic people are sometimes um because they don't speak that language and that's fine um but it's strange because um i can click with some people and it's amazing how people click like that, you know, understand that way. Um, you know, but it's like um, my nephew, I'm sure people won't mind me telling me this story. My nephew, we were at a party and my nephew doesn't speak. He doesn't communicate the, the normal way. So I was like the interpreter he wanted some chicken nuggets and chips. But because the person, the other person was asking my nephew, do you, are you hungry, blah, blah, he can't communicate that way. So I had to interpret what this other person was saying to my nephew, and my nephew was hungry. He wanted chicken nuggets and chips. So he got the chicken nuggets and chips. 
Um, and um, it's hard because even my mum, mummy, and my sister, they can't. I, I think my sister can, you know, interpret it. But sometimes I think when you find it hard to communicate with somebody, I think everybody was shocked the way that I could just click with it. But it's like one of those. It's we. I speak that language, you know. I speak that language. I understand, you know, straight on. It's it's fluent, and if you think, wow, how do you understand that language? You know, how do you understand that person? It, for me, you know, it's not just that I've been around those people, but it, you know, it's me as well, and I I think that for me sometimes it's always good to. You know, um, but I always think that what annoys me is um, people that don't have that issue, they will try and think, they'll try and they don't want to understand that language or they don't want to understand that way. And it's the I can't speak English or I won't speak English. Um, it's it's that, isn't it? Um, and... <laughs> Um, I'm not mocking anything, by the way. It's the only way I can describe this. Um, and I have described it quite a few times um, in some of my YouTube videos, some of my Facebook posts. Um, and people have understood me and they've gone, wow, this is amazing. How do you, how do we learn this language? And I'm like, well, what you do is you spend time with that person and you learn how to communicate with them. That's what you do. Um, just because it clicks quick with me, though, doesn't mean that it will click very quickly with you. You know, and I don't mean that to be rude. Well... Um, I felt like I've answered a couple of questions in this episode. Um, my other question is a non-Asperger's question that's related, which is a good one. It's basically about music. And it's, Stephen, what are your thoughts on Christian music? Why is there not good Christian music? Now, are we talking in the churches, Hallelujah! All that type of thing. Or are we talking just listening music? Um, okay, right. I'll talk probably listening music. Probably um, your Toby Mac, your Skillet, your DC Talk, your POD. Um, all that type of stuff. Well, the kids, it's like... Um, it's like anything. It's like normal mainstream music. It's like non-Christian music. It's the same thing. Um, people want to hear stuff that is trendy. In the Christian world... Um, just like the non-Christian world... The record labels reach out. Well, it's the same thing. It's the music industry basically pushes out and churn. Well, it's all kind of churned out stuff, basically. Um, 
so for instance it's you know um your um oh crumbs i'm trying to think of the name Like your Hillsong stuff. Now, there are some stuff that they do that I love. But I don't love every single thing that they do. Um, Hillsong worship is not... It's It doesn't speak to me and it's not literally up my street. And... I would say to those kids that, you know... Um, Hellsong worship is just the same equivalence to listening to Justin Bieber or One Direction. Now, hear me out. Hear me out here, folks. Hear me out and you'll see what I'm saying. Um, Hillsong's getting used to in the church. Um, it worries me because uh, <laughs> Hillsong are not like they do worship stuff. But to me... It's just not. I mean, like, there are some YouTube videos out there that explain what Hillsong is doing. And personally, I can see what they're doing. Um, it's not hard. Um, you know, um, they even, they they did stuff to, you know, they helped people out there that weren't Christians. Um It's like pushing God completely out the church, and welcoming the the welcoming the music industry to church, or just welcoming a churning industry into the church. But like I said, I don't hate I don't hate Hillsong, and um, I, I think they're great. Um, some of their stuff, but not all of their stuff is great, and it's a little bit too mainstream for me so what what do you think's out there now that i think you could listen to well there are pretty there are lots of worship bands that sound like um dc talk um there is a christian punk movement uh which fully focus on um singing about stuff which if you're in Hillsong you will not get this sort of stuff because it's just you know I mean when I when I ask people have you ever heard of Toby Mac in our church they're like what? Toby what? Um or Worldwide Message Tribe they're like what? It's like those bands have been pushed under the carpet, you know? Um and I still listen to Skillet, and I still listen to DC Talk, and I still listen to POD, and I still um, listen to all of those bands, and I think they're all fantastic. Um, I mean, it's just like normal music. I don't listen to anything new. It's like I work in I work in the radio industry, and I tell everybody who I work with that I do not look at the charts. Because the reason why um, I don't listen to the chart music because it's it's to me it's all the same thing. Um, 
it's it's just all the same thing. It has to really speak to me to like, oh yeah, I want to get that song, you know. Um, and there are some songs that I'm like, yeah, gotta get that, you know. Um, but I'm not wanting to buy every new single that comes out because um, people haven't looked back um and a lot of your mums and dads will be right they'll go oh the music wasn't you know the music was a lot better in our day uh which some of it was um some of it was um they had the beach boys the rolling stones led zeppelin um you know black sabbath um Uriah Heat Focus, Gentle Giant. Um, oh, the, the list is endless. The Travelling Wilburys, uh, Roy Orbison, um, Little Richard, um, The Clash, The Damned, The Sex Pistols, um, Crumbs, you know, um, Sandy Shaw, um, The Seekers, um, The Searchers, William S. Burroughs, um, he didn't actually do any music, but there was an album they released, I think, um, Frank Zappa and the Mothers of Invention. Um, the list is endless uh, I mean that's just mum and dad's music but I think you know we haven't even gone back as far as say the 90s when we had stuff like uh, Nirvana, Soundgarden um, Pearl Jam Metallica, Slayer um, Megadeth, Machine Head, um, Rage Against the Machine, um, Eels, Radiohead, But yeah. Um and you see dance music um hasn't changed much because nobody has done anything personally for me to improve it. Um even though I do get new dance tracks to play, um I personally don't think there's a new dance track that I would run out to the shops and buy. Because it doesn't sound new enough. I mean, if you listen to, say, stuff by Jack Master Funk, who did the classic Love Can't Turn Around, and that was a fantastic pop track in its day, and it still is. Um, it's it's a track that every DJ has to play. Um, you know, Jack Master Funk. Um, he's like the king of house, really, because it's like... A, 
it was like you had Jackmaster Funk, Jackmaster Flash, Grandmaster Flash, Grandmaster Funk. Um, then there was Jazzy Jeff, uh, DJ Jazzy Jeff, and then there was DJ Jazzy J, and then there was DJ. Then there was Grandmaster Flash. Then there was Grandmaster Funk. Then there was Grandmaster this. That, and this. There was just that was the age when. They had those strange, like those jazzy names. But uh, Jackmaster Funk is the one that is the most important guy. He's up there with Frankie Knuckles and all of them. Um, and they were the guys that turned disco on its head. Um, and they were the masters of the acid house music. Acid, acid house music. So, um, they're up there with people like Derek May and all of those people. Um, and you have to go back to 1989 to appreciate the Acid House sound. I think it was 19, 1989... Yeah, we got, they got Acid House. Um, we also got Techno as well. So all the good stuff was coming out of Detroit by that point. Um, but the UK had its own house movement. And now it's having its own EDM movement. Electronic dance music. Which... It's house. It's just more harder. People don't want to call it. Um, it's like, well, it's hard house. Um, well, it can't be hardcore house because hardcore house would be... Because anything to be hardcore would have to be faster. Um, I read an article on it ages ago. The term EDM, where it comes from. I read a really fantastic article on it. And it was from a guy who ran a record shop. Hearing the term EDM. Um, and EDM is just, it's not a genre. Um, it, it's not. Uh, because it's people saying, well, we have to have a genre because otherwise we're breaking the rules. Of, of genres but that's where it all sort of came to a dead end for dance music because um, there's probably people out there saying you can't have dubs uh, you can't have techno and dubstep together well dubstep has been in every that dubstep baseline has been in every single track since 2010. Um, so there's no way that people are saying well, we can't use a filtered baseline in house because it was already being used in house in fact bass driven house has been going longer than garage, UK garage and dubstep alone and dubstep came out the garage scene Uh, 
It was just something that was being changed. Um, and if you read all about the DJs that say about different bass lines and stuff, then, yeah. But to put it in, in a limelight, I think if you search out there for new music in total, new Christian music, you'll find a hundred bands that are doing brand new Christian music. <laughs> Or worship music. And they write their own worship hymns and stuff. And. They feel what they write. Um, yeah. They'll write hymns every day. Or they'll write worship songs every day. Um, but the difference with those types of people. Is they'll go into the studio with something that they feel and something that they they've, they've just got to churn out. Um I think worship music is not what it used to be. And hence why we have to reach out to new um musicians or artists. Uh, Rivers and Robots is a classic one. Um, there are quite a few. Um, the sing about what's really going on. And. Yeah. Um, and obviously the, the old. Stuff is still out there. Um, all of DC Talk's stuff is still on Spotify all of Toby Mac's stuff is still on Spotify um, Earthsuit are on Spotify um, and Earthsuit by the way they're like a Christian version to Limp Biscuit, but they sound very much different you know again um I liked Earth Suit because I liked Limp Biscuit and I liked the shouty stuff, I liked the rap stuff. But what Earth Suit did was they added a few more little bits in there. They added reggae, they added Scottish music, they added They did so many different things. Um So you should check them out as well. Um Yeah, there's even um, there isn't very many Christian rock bands out there, but there are a lot of Christian bands out there that will have the sound that you're looking for. Hey guys, I want to talk about something that's very personal and to the heart. And this podcast has been getting... People come to this podcast for deep stuff. Um, I don't tend to do it on purpose. Um, it's, you know, my thoughts are there. Um, I used to do a lot of Facebook Live. And a lot of people want the Facebook Live stuff. Unfortunately, due to some issues that happened, I'm not able to do that anymore. So if you want the old Facebook Live stuff... You come to these podcasts and you get all of that happening. I am doing a Facebook Live, though, on one of my pages, Mind of a Burger, 
I'm doing an autism talk um, on just autism and my travels through autism. I'm going to do that on this podcast as well, even though I've done it in the hidden corner, um, which you've all tuned into. Um, I thought I'd do it on this episode as well. and But I thought people are asking for deep stuff again, and they're requesting it. They're requesting it. And apparently, somebody said to me, God is speaking in the church. God is using you. And, and I... I was like, whoa, I was <laughs> shocked. But I wasn't, um, I don't know, because God uses everybody, um, I guess. We're all, we're all tools in the box. But my, I, I believe in things that other people obviously don't believe or something new happens. There's always new corners that we turn. And... I've realised going to church, um, obviously doing the Bible and having these experiences, sometimes you have to be an advocate for people who haven't had those experiences or want those experiences. And personally, I want an experience to happen. And what's happening now? An experience. I had a dream um, a, a while ago. That we were all in the church. We were all in the church. And I. I've been lost with my faith. Um, I. You know. I, I'm going to do another episode on that. Because. Knowing God. I mean. I'm not one of these people that does all these tongues. All this. You know. All these. Uh, the tongues. Um, I'm not even going to take do a mick of it. Because. Um, I think it w- works for other people, but it doesn't work for me. It's like a diet. Um, lol. Hashtag just saying. Um, but I think that um, I had this dream that we were all in the church. We were all, and I was in the ministry and somebody else was on the drums. And we were all feeling this. It was all, and everyone was doing this. Woo, all this business and our minister was leading us into the worship and now um i had a vision the other day the same guy was lost um i can't talk about what's happened on the podcast he might talk about it on his podcast but that's not my place to say however um i just said god show me a vision show me where he is and instantly it was there i don't have the power of of god i don't have god's power i probably have god's instruction book well not instruction book but i kind of have his instruction um i know people like to me to quote the book this is unscripted by the way but it's it's like, for example, if you go to the Old Testament where he used people like Noah and he used people like Moses. And then we go to the New Testament and he resurrected a son, a child. But he made, he built a tool. He kind of made a tool. It is like um, people make hammers, people make chisels, people make, you know, 
And sometimes people make tools for their own purpose. Um, you know, instead of buying a tool or something like that, they'll make tools for their own purpose. And God decided, even though he's created us for purposes, he created Jesus for his purpose. And when Jesus died and was resurrected on the... Uh, he died on the cross and was resurrected. Um, he basically used... You know, he, he kind of sharpened that tool. But I think through certain people, he uses that. And sometimes we don't know it. It's good to not know something like that. But I think... Um, I and I, I want to talk about how I worship, um, and how I've come to worship because it's not through Christian uh, ways. I've come back through the Christian door through other things. I've been ill a few times. I've been up and down a few times, and I'm not the yeah you know, the best person to whatever, but. Um, a lot of people come to me for not just spiritual stuff. They come to me for mental things as well. And it's like I said the other time, it was like I said something about, um, what did I say? I said something about wants and needs. And people have listened to that podcast in my church, in the church where I go, and they've come to me and they've said, Stephen, but, okay, they said, but you could have the sight. It's a, It could be a miracle. And I turn around them and I say, listen, listen to that episode again. I've told them to go back to that episode and listen to it. Wants and needs. Now, I would love to have, I'd love to have eyesight. I would love to have it. 2020 vision, if you could steal it, I'd have it. You know, I want a brand new sound system. I've already got a brand new sound system, by the way. <laughs> um, but, you know, let's see. What do I want? Um, I want a girlfriend, a top-of-the-range girl who's really attractive and has got everything going for her, but is really supportive. Um, you know... <laughs> I'd love to have a brother. There's so many wants. You know, if I could go, if I could go make a list of all the wants, like I want a, a, a jet and somebody to fly me over the world. And um, what else do I want? Um, my crossfader to be fixed. That's not necessarily a need. Um, what else do I want? See, I look at wants and think, okay, I want something new. I would love to have, I would want, I want a brand new drum machine. Um, a, a top of the range drum machine. Yeah, I want one of those. Um, a Moog synthesizer. Um, oh, gosh. A top of the range 24 track studio. Um, we could go on and on and on about wants. But needs, what do we need? Um, at the moment, I'd see, I don't want to be powerful. But God needs me to be powerful. 
And I have gone into the church the same way my mother has. Um, well, when I went back to the church, I kind of, with my own experiences, I didn't want to be, I just want to be, wanted to be the drummer. I am now doing more things. Not only do more things, but more things are happening. And as I've just said, um, our minister is lost and um, and wounded. Um, I'm not going to say too much. Again, it's for his podcast. But people are saying, Stephen, can you heal this person? Um, I can't heal him, but I can probably get him onto the right path. Uh, without medication. Um, because... It's, you know, you use something which a lot of people in the mental health industry do not use. And that is called talking, what I'm doing on this podcast. And if there's anybody out there that is feeling low, suicidal, seriously, listen to these podcasts. You get everything. Um, And people say to me, Stephen, how, how are you so positive all the time? You're never negative. Well, I have a lot of... Pod- pod- I can't speak. I have a lot of positive energy. But you know, God is using me um, because I don't want to be used. I need to be used. There is a need. There is a need for that. Um, there's been lots of needs. And... I, my panic, my worry is that if God uses me too much, if God gives me power, that is like giving somebody a million quid. You know, if you give somebody a million quid and said, here, mate, here's a million quid, spend it on what you want. But you must use this wisely. That's basically like giving me too much power. Um, you know, I don't want, I don't want every, you know, it's like pocket money, you know. Um, um, And so I don't really want lots and lots of power because it's not what I want. And if I do have lots of power... There's no way I don't want to. I don't want to use it technically, because I think it's not my place. I have read about people in the church that have had too much power and where they've gone, um, and maybe because. I am a, I'll say it, vulnerable adult. Um, I hate those words. But, you know, technically, you know, we've seen in the Bible the vulnerable and the weak were used. You know, and may not be physically strong, but going into a battle... Um, and I can see a spiritual war.
Um, and I don't want to talk too much on it, but um, my personal thoughts is if if somebody is using me upstairs, um, I hope it's for the great. Because I know there's people downstairs who want to use me. And, yeah. Um, and quite recently, my worship isn't mainstream. I hate the word mainstream. I hate the word mainstream. And... I, d I don't challenge people anymore in the church. And people can see it if they, they know in a service. Don't let me confront you. Because at the end, if you say, oh, come out if you've got something. I don't. The reason I don't is because you're talking about something in a service. And, okay, I'm going to challenge you with something. And you ain't going to like it. You're not. Uh, it's just you're not. You're not going to be ready for it. So I'm going to do it in this podcast um, today. I'm going to challenge you with a few things today for those people who want to be challenged. Um, if you want to be challenged, um, please do note that um, these are my personal thoughts, and please do note that um, you know I'm not forcing people to think this way. Which a lot of people thought when when we did the Facebook Live stuff. Um, there's no way that I would think of force people to think anyway. You've got your own views. You've got your own thoughts. You know, for those people who are going into college, having your own mind is a dangerous thing. Um, it's quite a scary thing to learn. But I'm telling you now, it's a great thing to learn. Um, you know. Um, but it's like um today. Um, they were talking about the Pentecost, where there was a violent wind within the house and a spirit was sent inside the disciples. The Holy Spirit came inside those people. Now, a lot of people, a lot of people in today's culture, they want something visual. Jesus is the vision. You know? Um It's like it's like a car. You know, God is the engine. Jesus is the powerhouse. You know, he's got all the gears and everything. He's the interior. And then you've got the Holy Spirit as the power the powerhouse behind it all. And I know that there is a three-in-one, all-in-one, but I think they're separate things. They were separate things in the beginning. You know, you had God as the rock. Um, the maker, the creator. Um, of all things. And then you have Jesus, the son. And now the spirit who's the last thing. They all came on in the end. 
Um, that's not important, however. It's it's the important thing is that we believe in them all. The other thing is is we believe in what they do. Now, I have challenged Jehovah's Witnesses. Um, yeah, I spoke about heavens and the raptures and everything being lifted up to the raptures and, um, there was a load of stuff about the lamp, the lamp in heaven, which represents the angels, um, There's all that kind of stuff. Um, and people don't believe all that. Which they don't, you know, and um, I also think when, you know, it is a massive thing when people say, um, like, I don't know, there's some things that I personally disagree with the way, you know, people still think that Jesus now in heaven is a man, but he's not, he's not a man, that's the vision that that's the wrong vision. Um, because obviously, it's just when we die, we have, we have a new body. We are born, we've got a new body, and our body, our new body, does not look like the body that we've got now. Our heavenly body doesn't look, it, it doesn't act the way that we've got now. Our earthly body we're in no need of it. We're born into a new body that the spirit can live in. It's like the body that we're in now, excuse me, it's like a cocoon. And one day, we shall go out of that cocoon and we shall live on. We shall be be transformed um, into something else. And Jesus was transformed from a man into a tree. A tree of life. One of the trees of life. And he's more taller than greater than he was when he was on this earth. 
the king of all kings, the king of heaven. Now, if that isn't important, then my goodness grief, you, you need to go back and do your research. And, you know, it says the the paths are made out of gold. The streets and the paths are made of gold and silver. People will feel no pain. People will have no worries. People will be at peace. It talks about, I mean, even though we get anxious about death and the future and the second coming, that is completely natural. Um, but also, we have to sort of say, well, death is the next thing. There's no way we can fight it. There's no way we can say, oh, sorry, you know, do we want to stay on this earth forever? I don't think so. You know, it talks to the end of the world, you know, and so many things that I've read that are more scary than, than death itself. And I just think that we need to be saved. We need to be asked to be saved every day. We need to ask the Holy Spirit to save us every day. Because um, even though they're all one, the Holy Spirit's job is to do what it's able to do. We need to ask the Holy Spirit to come into us. I used to ask... Um, I've had no training... I used to ask in in the we used to, when we have a prayer before the church, and um, I would ignore all the people in that prayer room. Um, well, no, no, it took me a while. It took me a while. It was when I had that dream. I sat in the prayer room, and it was like I was sat in there on my own. I ignored everybody in there, and I asked. I said to Lord, the Lord, please, Lord. Bring the Holy Spirit into the church. I'm asking you to bring the Holy Spirit into the church and move everybody in it. And since I've prayed for that, so many strange things have happened. So many strange things have happened. Um, and so I don't, I don't ask that anymore because I feel it's already happening. Um, but... Um, I'll say this much that we as children of the Lord we need to be able to 
do whatever's needed of us. If we need to save somebody, <laughs> you know, I didn't, I didn't have that. I didn't have that in the contract. Um, Stephen, you need to save somebody. It wasn't in my contract, but I know as a mental health advocate, um, I've had to save, speak up for people, speak up for myself as well. Um, argue against people who aren't listening to me. Um, and that's political power, and that's different. That's different. That's different spiritual power. But I really did not. I did not like that at all. Um, at all. At all. At all. I wouldn't wish that on anybody at all, and I would not go back to having or wanting spiritual power. Uh, not spiritual power. Uh, political power, <laughs> um, because it was like I could not do anything about the situation in hand. And they didn't want to listen to me. They were people who were bosses. And they wanted their things to go their way. Um, the wages were talking. And it's all been resolved. But that was political power. But as a mental health advocate. Yeah. Um, I will help as much as I can. But the reason that my mental health is so good is because um, I've been sharpened. I've been like, you know, when you sharpen two knives, you know, I had people saying, oh, this is wrong. You can't do this. This is right. This is how you behave. And then when I grew up and I, God bless the Internet, um, there were so many things that I read. Um, and then people we got talking about conforming and non-conforming. And that made me an even more stronger men mentally, more stronger mentally than, than ever, ever before. Um, but you see, there's people out there that want you to be weak. They don't want you to be strong. They would rather you were weak so they could do whatever they need to do. Um, and that that goes for anything. Um, I have. With my Asperger syndrome, I have a couple of learning difficulties, uh, but I've got a tongue in my head. That's a great weapon. <laughs> it's a great weapon. Um, I have thoughts and views that, if I say them to somebody, I don't know. It's it could, it could offend in the you know the wrong way, the wrong you know which I don't like doing because, um, or I'll say something and it'll shock somebody. Um, I know somebody um, who um, I used to have a full blown, like a full deep conversation or I'd just say something out of the blue and she'd be like, why didn't you say that for, you know? Um, so, um, and and one day I said to this person, I said, uh, you are not mainstream. You are, what is it? I said, you're too mainstream. And... Again, it was like, what did you say that for? And I said, no. I said, I'm not explaining what I mean by mainstream and non-mainstream. You are mainstream. You are a conformist. And I said it. And um, apparently I had to apologise to this person for saying that. But, you know, I meant it, of course, because um, they did not get me. And I think they felt a bit uncomfortable with me. Um a few people feel that, but obviously, um, 
I don't discuss the mainstream and underground because I've been in trouble by discussing it. But what I will say is that mainstream people are not just people who get up in the morning and go to work. Um, that's just the surface of mainstream people. For example, they won't just read the papers either. That's that's again, we're 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 just scratching the surface of a mainstream person. A mainstream person will care about how people behave um in public and they'll also care about how um people they'll care about their thoughts and views more. Um, they'll care about what position politically you are. They'll care about what it's like um, I blab a lot of stuff, but there are some things that I keep I keep to my chest for good reason. Because it might hurt my family and it might hurt my friends. So it's not always good in that sense. So I know a few people that come to me and they say, they've been coming to me and they've said, hey, um, could you do this, that and the other for me? And I'm like, yeah, sure. They'll ask me for a view on something and I'll say, you know. And again, they they don't like it because they've asked for it, but... Um, but people do ask things, you know, views, and I'll answer them. Um, it's like people are asking me at the moment, what do I think about Brexit? Um, and I've stated my views right there, but, um, I, I've stopped voting. And there's a shock to a lot of people. Because people are still saying to me, if you don't vote, you'll have, you won't have a say. But even if you do vote, you won't have a say. Things have changed. Things have come a long way. Um, you know, there is no control. People want the control and they want to do things so corruptly. And nobody cares about communities they care about a population. But they would not care about a community. There was um, a few years ago. Um, there was a, cof- a coffee shop in town um, called Cafe Nero. And they wanted to market for the community and it did not work. Well, they wanted to market a community. They didn't um, make a market for a community, which is which is different. Um, of course, they didn't lose out because people still go there. But um, they didn't... Because you've got to care for a community that... 
you know, you've got to care for a community that you've built. When you've built a community of, say, a group of people, that's how it starts. To several groups of people, that's how it's, that's how it, that's how it builds. Um, stretching it to several, several, several more groups of people. And that's how it works. And you lead it into wherever you want. Uh, you've created something. You've created a community. You have to then. Let it. The people in that community that you've built. You've got to create. Not just resources from. But you've got to teach them to make resources. And once you've taught them to make resources. They become stronger and better people. With bigger and better ideas than it had before. Which strengthens any community at all. And. That's where I'm going with this. So. I'm going to close this now. Um, I move on. And I thought I would. Um, like to put a prayer in this podcast. Um, I probably think that. This is the only podcast where I can put a prayer in. The other podcast for you DJs and producers, that's the podcast. This podcast is more about just general thoughts and things. I basically want to put a prayer in there for anybody at the moment who feels a bit down. And I just want to say, dear Lord, we ask you, whoever's feeling down and, and not and, and lost, just pick them up and get them back onto the path. Um, because that is the most important thing that you can do. Amen. Well, now I thought on this part of the podcast, I was going to talk about my Asperger's. I was diagnosed when I was 15, um, then re-diagnosed when I was about 23. Um, and I thought then would be a good time to, um, get diagnosed because, um, because When I wasn't diagnosed with Asperger's, things were quite difficult. Um, things like the imaginary friends, like the talking to myself. Uh, I didn't. I knew about like talking to myself out loud and all this business, but it, it got a bit. You know, it got a bit confusing through the whole of the young age type of thing. You know, your imaginary friends go and. They never come back. It never appeared to me that way. Because things were too real. And I couldn't deal with things like other people could. I couldn't, you know, my... My brain was... There were things going on in my head that would, weren't going on in a lot of people's heads. 
Um, so, I got, you know, um, people would say, oh, you're just using that toy phone as an excuse. And it was the worst possible thing that you could say to anybody, you know? It's like saying, oh, well, um, what is it? That bottle of fake beer that you're drinking is just an excuse for your alcohol habit or um, that methadone you're taking is just an excuse for your drug habit Um, or that nicotine patch is just an excuse for your smoking. You know, there's all of that. Um, All those fake chocolate bars that people buy when they're on diets are just a bloody excuse. Anyway, um, they're not. It's... But back then, you know, it was a bad thing. You know, me talking to myself, me having imaginary friends, me having an imagination back then was like the worst thing. It was like, it was like snorting crack cocaine. I think I might as well have done that when I was a kid than uh, than do what I was doing. Um, I mean, I had cassette recorders. I was recording all the time. I was trying to relate to my imagination through some of the homeworks or whatever I was trying to be creative as I could through school um it didn't work in in a lot of ways and then we cut to year 10 I'm taken to these doctors and I get I go in a room and I get told that these doctors are not you know normal doctors I'm like what but they didn't assess me right and when I was 15, we, I waited in the car and my mum came out and she said, Stephen, you've got that thing your friend's got. What? <laughs> you know, you've got it, my friend. You've got it. Is it contagious? <laughs> uh, my mum said to me, it won't hurt you. We love you and nothing should change. Now, I didn't read between the lines back then. Um, I wish I had done because... Uh, you know, I wish I hadn't read between the lines because then I could have gone, I could have said, look, if you want me to conform, it ain't happening. You know? Um, I would have changed um, and I probably would have rewind, rewinding the time back, um, I would have disowned the other side of my family. If I understood a lot more. Um, I would have disowned. My other family to the point where. I just don't want to see them anymore. Have anything to do with them anymore. That type of thing. Which would have been the answer to a lot of people's prayers. Um, However it never happened. Don't know why but it never happened. So, we fast forward to um, I got some counselling in school a few months after that diagnosis I got a counsellor in school 
and I spoke and boy I learnt a lot of things but she wasn't I had to learn that she wasn't brilliant and a few of my friends who had a they were like Stephen she isn't great she's not great okay um, but I had a meltdown and there was no way that I could explain that to anybody so anyway, I left school and entered college and there was I was holding my world in, my imaginary world, I was holding it in. You know, like you would hold a poo in or you'd hold a wee in. Um, it was like that. And I held that in for three years and I came home and... Uh, you know when you hold a wee in for so long and you go to the toilet, what happens? <laughs> so I came from, from college, I got in my bedroom, I closed the door as quick as day, and what do you think happened? My whole imaginary world just spilled out. <laughs> um, I remember turning on my... turning on my Jaws machine, turning on all, all of my cassette recorders. Um, I'm trying to think what else I did. Um, played with my toy phone kind of did everything that upset my mother at the time but I was never given that breathing space so I waited to my nans I got to my nans so I could spill everything out again it didn't work and it wasn't the right time and it just didn't happen properly um, so I was going to go, I left college and I was going to go to, oh yeah, no, there was another thing that happened. Um, the year after we were doing a music video, um, excuse me for my college course. And I basically acted out this stalker in the video. I frightened all my college mates <laughs> and, um, it wasn't until my tutors found out afterwards that I'd been in character the whole the whole day, the whole week. And I'd also written a track called Mind Abuse. And I also called myself the Mind Abuser. The the Mind Abuser slash taught uh slash stalker. It it wasn't a great thing for anybody. Um and so anyway, um I went up with a girl which didn't particularly go down the right the right road and then um I was going to go to John Moore's which didn't happen but I went and got myself an assessment <coughs> excuse me an assessment um there was a huge argument with me and my mother at the time uh, but I got an assessment and it's been the best thing since sliced bread because it's made a little bit of an understanding. Not a major understanding, but it has made a bit of one. And um, it introduced me to the focus team and I learned so much through the focus team. But God bless the internet. I've learned so much more and... 
I'm positive through a lot of things. But sometimes there's things in life where you think, oh, crumbs, I'm on a downer. You know, it's just, that's how it's meant to be. Um, you know, there's no way I'd want to be on medication for anything because oh, it just, it just, I don't know, from what I know with drugs for mental health, um, my worry is it can change the personality um change somebody's personality and i would hate that i would really really hate that um i'd probably come more anxious i'd probably come more i don't know i probably just wouldn't that there'd be a lot of me lost i think um you know and I did do a lot of music which explains who I am and what I am. I'm still trying to share a lot of my music and a lot of my ideas. I do this podcast. Um, I have some great friends now who, you know, I'm blessed. I'm blessed in a way. Um... I'm not joking, I'm not fooling around. They are fantastic people. You know, Mike and Gillian, what would I do without them? Thomas, what would I do without him? And some of the people that are at church, and they come to me with, they say, hey Stephen, what do you think on this? What are your issues on this? You know, <laughs> they want, they want to know how to not conform and stuff like that. And I've told them, look, just, don't care about anyone says about you. That shocks everybody. And I say that. And I'm t- that's that's a piece of advice I want to give you in the podcast. Okay, I don't mean break rules and all that type of thing. But if someone says to you, for example, if someone says to you, uh, you know, grow up now, you're a 14 year old, you should be acting this way. Well, maybe you should, but maybe there's something that... I don't know. You're a 14-year-old and you like Pokemon and someone tells you to grow up. Um, tell them that when you get home, uh, you will be watching some anime... Um, some really dark anime show... That will really, really uh, be like Pokemon, but it will it will shock your brains out. And um, so obviously, you know, and make sure that you stick to your guns. Um, if you picked a lifestyle that you've got or whatever. You shouldn't let anybody say, you're too young for that. That's too babyish for you. Um, you know, like if my, one of my nephews, if he grows up like me and he wants to play with a toy phone, 
there ain't no way that I am going to say that's too old for you. Grow up. There's no way I'm, you know, and and people are going to probably say, Stephen, why are you allowing that? Because that is a need for them. You know? Um, but yeah, that's what I say to anybody. If you've got, people say, you know, they're just, I don't know. I think a lot of people think, they still think that um, if you are normal, everything's going to run perfect for you. Well, it isn't. It's never going to be that way. Never. Um, and... I've had conversations with people who f forced me to be normal when I was about 10 or 11 that are now saying to me, Stephen, I apologise for trying to change you. And I've meant it. I've meant every single word. And I've said, well, you haven't really changed me at all. <laughs> you've, made me, you've made me conform even less. Because it's just the way that has to be. Um, you know, and it makes that person loads more stronger, loads more stronger, loads more stronger now. Anyway, I'm going for my drink. Um... I think that everybody needs the same thing or wants the same thing. That's a definite. Well, hello, guys, and welcome to this next part of the podcast, which I call um, my dream or dreams that I had or dream that I've had, blah, blah, blah. Now, I had a dream with a tape recorder in. This was kind of nightmare feel because, as people have known, when I've spoke about tape recorders in dreams... Um, I did oversleep, by the way. I did have a bad sleep, but that's not to the point why I had a cassette recorder in my dream. I had a cassette recorder in my dream, and when I have a cassette recorder in my dream, um, it's usually bad. And it used to have when I used to have tape recorders in my dream, they used to have R on them. Um, but in this dream, it was really strange. 
I had a cassette recorder in the dream and I went into the bathtub went into the bathtub with the cassette recorder hmm. and I was recording all the stuff on the tape and a thing we should never do in a dream is play the tape back if you've used a cassette recorder in a dream it's very different it's like a mirror because you hear your voice back fine on the tape but you sometimes hear other bits on the tape you don't normally want to pick up and um, I got electrocuted on the tape recorder and it was really weird um So yeah. Um, I've also had a lot of questions that came in about um, rules and dreams. And people have said to me, do you know what? There is a rule in a dream. Blah, blah, blah. But, I don't know. Because my sleep got broken because my stepdad came down, put lights on, called me a lazy so-and-so. Not even thinking for a minute that, you know, because my alarm didn't go off. I'd slept through it. I wasn't sure. Um, and I just thought, but you know what? And so, I was thinking, because he was going about, about, you know, breakfast and lunch, and I checked my clock. It was bang on half eight. And I thought, it's only half eight, you know. And I had a slow day, uh, which, <laughs> which made him really angry, you know. I went out, um, I bought a drink. I just took my time, I thought, what's the point in rushing, you know? <laughs> it's not like, um, I needed to rush home to, um, I'm recording this on the pod, on the Monday actually, um, I need to to call our friend, and I've not managed to get hold of him. I've left two answer, I've left two messages on his answering machine. I will not keep you up to date with this because usually um, I would have kept you up to date, but I just think. Um, At this point, I'm not going to because, um, just because, um, it's got a real personal issue. And for those who listen to it, who go to my church, don't ask me, don't ask me for an update. 
you just read the notices. Um, I've become a little bit personal about the issue, and I'm not one of these types of people. Um, I've got a little bit personal about the issue because um, it's very close to home. Um, the last time I had an issue like this was when my real dad <coughs> came to me and my real dad was lost, but my real dad doesn't want the help. Um, and he thinks running into the sunset with a fake family will help. Um, because I had a dream in the night that I was going, we were in a car, we'd been sent to the chippy, and we were going up and down the street that we used to play on, where he lived, couldn't find his house, and you know, you know that street is so small, it's like, how could we not find his house? So I told mummy of the dream, and and um, mummy said, "Well, I think your dad's lost, and he can't find his way. You, you know, you'll never find his way home." And I tried helping him. I tried, <clears throat> you know, but he just wouldn't have it. Whereas I know this other person that needs help. And it didn't come to me in a dream, it came to me in a vision. You know? Um, as we were praying. As clear as day. And I still can't get rid of that vision. <clears throat> um, and last time I got a vision, it wore off. Like two or three days. Um, but this vision has lasted five days. It is a real vision. And the vision is of an open desert. I've never been to the desert, but an open desert. Um, with no water. There's no walls. There's no lampposts. There's nothing. There's just sand. And there's just, it's just open. <laughs> and if you're lost in that, and you can't find your way back, that's a real problem. That's a real, real problem. <clears throat> um, and people are asking, how did I know that? Am I... I didn't, it just came to me, <laughs> it just, it's, it's like, you know, if you had a cell phone with you, you could probably call someone and say, hey, I'm lost, where's the location, well, I don't know, <laughs> uh, you know, they might be able to give you a start point of the location, but if, you know, it's like, well, there's nothing else around, there's no signs, there's no... I am lost. 
type of thing. And the only question I can answer to that is, I think when someone needs help, it's like they're screaming help. Um, <clears throat> it's like um, in avalanches, if someone screams for help, um, if they send a dog in an avalanche, someone screams for help, the dog will go find them and sniff them out. Um, how did I know I sniffed this problem out and just knew or sensed this, there was a problem and just knew straight away. But it was in the air, you see. It was it was in the air. And when something is airborne, shall we say, it's more easier to see the problem um, I don't know if there is a solution um, and it's not my point to say if there is or not um, But hopefully, um, I'll be able to see the situation. And whether they put it on their podcast or whatever, whether they publish it, the information is up to them. I can't publish their information for them, and neither can I publish any further experience. But I've asked for experience for a while in the church. I've asked for experience and this is something that I'm experiencing um, personally and and this This church that I'm in now is more of a family. But obviously, I'm going to make a Facebook page called Notes for the Audio Blog. Um, obviously, um, if people want to contribute to that or um, request something or whatever. But yeah, so I'm moving on. I'm going to talk about my book. that I'm still writing and I've decided to publish it again um, but I'm also publishing well I'm not publishing I'm also um, working on my journal because I want my family to read it um, and so the journal is as weird as wacky as it gets but I think there's stuff that we can learn from in there, I think.
cambiar just give me a second Yeah, the book needs more. The book needs more work on it. Um, I'll wipe bits and then I'll stop. Um, I've not felt motivated again. <laughs> um, and things have got in the way, um, so on and so forth. Hello folks and welcome back to the podcast, um, the blog, the audio blog, where I'm stood in my gym shorts, I'm not exactly sweating, and I am quite annoyed. Um, Before I get discussing on what I'm going to discuss, I'm so annoyed because the new club where we're at now, which is the railway club, drinks are so expensive and the the beer was off yesterday but seriously um some of those like bottles that they had were in the three pound mark and the soft drinks were in like the soft drinks were really cheap were dirt cheap and it's like they had you know some of the lagers and that were like in the three pound mark and they were no they weren't even under that and something that I could have had would have been the four or five pound mark I mean I really don't know what their idea is um but it's yeah I think that um I probably won't be drinking beer from there anymore because it's too dear you know, where I can get a pint of beer from the Phoenix for like £2.30. Like, 
a pint of Worthington's at the Phoenix would have cost me £2.30 and like the deer like the deer drinks were the lagers at the Phoenix or the ciders so I never really well actually cider was about was it 240 something like that 240 250 it was something I very rarely touched because one it's one of those drinks that I, I don't know I don't have been in the mood for and two you know but really as some of you may not know I'm into my real ales uh, my craft beers all that type of stuff which you know um, I mean I was told the drinks would be cheaper at the new place the soft drinks they were talking about now I understand the soft drinks at the Phoenix did go up something like 280 or something like that but um, but at least the beer was cheaper in there um, so um, my advice is um, if you want soft drinks go to the railway club um, if you want alcohol go to the Phoenix I think that's uh that's rightfully said uh, in the podcast. Um, I mean, you know, um, I don't want to say too much because the staff are quite good in the railway, but the prices, and another thing, I can see why they don't have a price list available and you have to ask the prices all the time. But I do think they get a bit ominari about me questioning the prices. Um, and I pretty much don't care because the other place they would fully write, go through the prices with you. This place they don't. Um, so where they're struggling or not, I don't know. It's nothing I want to get to the bottom of because they're run by a committee and that I don't want to discuss on this blog. Uh, but hey-ho, um, enough, enough of that rant. Um, but that's why I'm a bit grumpy today because um, I'm a bit annoyed that they overcharged me for the bottles. At least if the beer is off, they should at least, you know, um, I don't know bring down the prices of one of the bottles. I mean, bitter. Like, there was a bitter there that was about four or five pounds for a bitter. I could have had about... I'd have had about two or three bitters for that in the uh, in the Phoenix, where we used to drink. Anyway, I know people that are not going to listen to me ranting about that, so um, you can fa- you'll probably fast-forward or skip that part of the podcast anyways. Um... Like I said, it's not important, and um, but like I said, I am very grumpy about it because, unfortunately, um, yeah, it just annoys me. Why are things so expensive in that place? People are saying, "Oh, it'd be cheaper." The cheapest thing in there is about like a can of Coke, and you could buy that in a shop. Um, and I'm not being ungrateful 
I am a customer. It's not like I'm going to somebody's house or anything. Um, I am a customer. And so the railway club is good for the one night that I go with the atmosphere and everything. But apart from that, um, I think, I don't know. Anyway, um, like I said, um, that's, that's the rant over. Um, I'm now going to come here to discuss what I was going to discuss. And that's a dream that I had. Uh, was it last night or this morning? I don't know. Uh, where I woke up um, in a dream, so somewhere else. And I was on holiday with people I knew. And we were basically partying. But then it went from that to another dream where I was at a radio show and they were on tour. And they just did, it was like I was on the Radio 1 truck or the bus's massive coach. And they weren't, the only studio equipment they were using was um, a radio mic, a mixer, and a laptop. Everything else was done by mobile phones. They had very little. Um, kind of what radio studios are like nowadays. They've got basically a computer and a mixing desk and that's all they have and a couple of microphones um there isn't really a lot in a studio these days the best radio studio i think i've been in is the one well it used to be galaxy it's now capital but um the best radio studio i went in there um they had a they had um whoops two jingle machines they had two effects machines they had a computer that recorded everything I'm trying to think what they were using back then I think was it called free edit or something it wasn't called cool edit pro because that had gone um, or cool edit which was the, which was then turned into adobe audition um, which a lot of radio studios seem to use audition now um, or Audacity because it's free a lot of radio studios use Audacity um, the BBC have started using Audacity um, they were the first in fact I was told that Radio 4 were the first to use Audacity in, in radio production um, 
Because not only is it free, but it's Crispin production. Um, but yeah, that was the best studio that I went in. The one at um, Galaxy, which is now Capital. Because when you go into radio studios now, they're quite funny of what they can show you. Um, radio City was the one where they didn't really show you much and even the second time I went there they still didn't show you much it's um, very tourist attraction um, type place and everybody bangs on about going to it but um, it's more kind of look at the sights not check out the studio um, I think they let me wear the headphones I can't remember but they didn't um, have anything for you to test and try out um, the other best tour that I went on was the Radio Merseyside one that was really good and um the person working there, they uh, not only did I get a tour, but I got to um, sit in one of their meetings um, and listen to what was going on. And if you're a radio geek or a radio buff, you you are there for the radio. You're not there for um, tourist attraction. You are there for what you're there for, basically. Um, I went in the studio. Um, I got to wear the headphones Um, I couldn't have a go with the microphones but um, I got shown a few of the jingles that they had on the system Um, I got to have a feel of microphones that weren't plugged in Oh, what else did they show me? They showed me the setup and layout, the actual studio, and walked me around. And gave me a full-blown talk into everything. And... Yeah. Um, that was the best tour I had. Because now, when they do tours, and they take you around, a radio studio it's quite disappointing um, obviously um, because it just is however I did meet the controller of Radio City a few years ago yeah and um, got to go into the newsrooms got to walk through the offices Um, but Radio Merseyside was the best one because 
<clears throat> I actually got to go into a meeting and hear them talking about all the stuff they were going to be doing, um, all the stuff they were editing, all the stuff they were recording, all the stuff they had to go out and record. Did they have enough budget to go and record? I think they were going to do a documentary. Um, where it got done or not, I don't know. Um, and there was a few phoning shows, I think. And there was a problem. <laughs> um, I'm not going to discuss what the problem was, but they had a problem. Um, basically, one of the members of staff was not in. And there was another member of staff to come on, and they had to cover for that member of staff. And it was very short notice so um so it was all kind of you know um and i think something was happening on television as well um so it was real you got the feel of broadcasting as soon as you walked in there you got the feel of, of being a broadcaster and um when i've brought people into the studio before now i give them the feel of the studio um obviously I tell them that they can't slide the mics up or anything, but I definitely, once we've done the interview, um, I let them have the headphones on. Um, I show them around the studio. Um, and I, I make them feel like, you know, I give them a day to remember, really. Um, I give them the feel of, of the show, which is, if you've been brought into somewhere, that's what you do. I've had people saying to me, hey Megatron, we've loved the show, uh, we've loved what you've done, um, can you bring us into the studio again? I'm like, yeah, sure, you know. Um, but I think when you go to a studio, a radio studio, I think for anybody who's going to broadcasting, it's good to get a feel of where you're going. I don't know why I'm talking about this. I've ranted a few minutes and I've also spoke a few minutes. Well, I've just been reading a post on Facebook about text adventures. And I'm playing a, I'm playing a text adventure on my Braille note. Um, but I've also started playing... I just want to talk about games for the visually impaired. Gaming for the visually impaired. It's, it's a very... I'll be an hour subject. Um, because when you start discussing it, it's like, oh no, not that subject again. Um, or it's, I don't know, it's like a taboo subject, I guess. It's like blind people aren't supposed to be doing any computer gaming of any form of sort. Um, where you have vision or no vision, um, if you want to do computer gaming, um, the text adventures would have been a good place for anybody to start. But, um, I want to tell you about my gaming um, adventures <laughs> that I had. Um, I used to have some fun times. Um, I used to love, and kind of the Asperger's side of me, 
really loved the loading screens of the games. Um, I used to love the um, the Wolfenstein, Wolfenstein, um, and even though I had my Sega, even though I had Sonic, and even though I had Streets of Rage, um, I felt the loading on the Sega back then just wasn't. I don't know. Um, it, it just didn't. I don't know. There wasn't really much excitement to it. It was you were thrown straight into the game back then. It just, I don't know. It, I took all that for granted. Um, I'm not saying I didn't enjoy my Sega because I loved it. Um, it was my first computer, um, more or less. But we had the PC and I used to watch my sister and my dad play Wolfenstein all the time. And um, I used to get a go on it. Um, and I remember we... Um, my sister used to play easy on it. Um, and even though she played easy, she had to go and get my dad to help her past Hitler at the end. Um, my favourite scene in Wolfenstein is the most scariest scene ever. <laughs> I had to look away at one point. I was watching my dad play it, and it was like the bit where I had to look away because... Um, uh, uh, you go past these like guys with the rifles and then this boss just comes out of nowhere and it's like, ah, um, and that was like my first jump scare as a kid. Um, because obviously in the Sega games, like golden ax and streets of rage, the bosses are quite tame. Um, you know, even in Splatterhouse, which I've watched on YouTube, which I didn't have as a kid, but, um, you know, the bosses were always quite tame in Sega games. I think it was because, you know, um, there were certain limits and boundaries. I know the games were a lot more brutal on the Sega. Um, you know, and I wasn't, you know, as a kid, I was never introduced to any brutal games till later on. But I loved the, the loading times and, and stuff like that and the games. And um, it was just like a film, had the feel of a film, um, you know. Um, and it wasn't until um, a friend of ours had the Amiga and I went around to the house. Well, there was a couple of people that had the Amiga and I had seen the Amiga, but I never had a proper, proper go on one. And it was one of those things. Um, as a kid, having a proper go of an Amiga was was the thing. <laughs> uh, I remember my my dad wasn't happy that I was going to get into an Amiga. We weren't getting one because my dad wasn't really an Amiga person, uh, sadly. Um, he was always into his PC stuff, um, so we never got an Amiga. Um, I'd have loved to an Amiga because there was really great stuff out for it. So I'd have to go around to friends' house to always play the Amiga. But I remember this one time we went to friends' house, and not only we played every single game, I spent like four hours on Pinball Dreams. Um, once I'd gone through every game, I was like, "Yeah, let's go back to Pinball Dreams," and I just spent nearly the whole night on Pinball Dreams. And that was literally, that was me sorted. Um, so my dad then got a pinball game for the PC, which was like Pinball Dreams, but 
Um, like the, the the graphics and everything was really good. Um, the only thing was we didn't have a sound card back then. We just used the PC speaker. Um, as a kid, that didn't really get me excited at all. Um, so if I wanted something quite graphical, we used to go for Wolfenstein. Um, if you wanted something less graphical, we'd go for Pinball Dreams. But I quite like Pinball on the PC that we had. Uh, my dad got Pinball Dreams for the PC. And um, again, I really enjoyed it. It was a game I could play on my own on the PC without my sister or my dad being there because I could press the, was it the up arrow key and then the space bar to release the ball. Um, and I just kept pressing space bar. And then my dad told me that I had to get off the PC because I was damaging the space bar. <laughs> I wasn't, I just keep pressing it to release the ball. Oh, um, but yeah. Um, so that was my history of gaming. Uh, but then the nineties happened. No, well, the, the PlayStation happened. Um, in 1997 and I still had my Sega and when I was home I was playing my Sega to death um, and when I was at my dad's I was playing the PlayStation to death and then my mum decided it was time to get me a real console <laughs> so I got my first I got my PlayStation and um, Everything about the PlayStation was good. The music, the graphics, uh, the sound, the stories in the games. You know? Uh, just everything, really. Um, and we would sit and play racing games for ages. I would sit and play fighting games for ages. Um, and it brought people, it, it became more sociable than the Sega, the PlayStation, because Sonic was just shedding dust in a corner. Well, no, we'd still play it, I think, from time to time. You know, I'd put the Sega on, um, but it was more, the PlayStation was more in favour, you know. Sometimes me and my sister, we'd get Streets of Rage out once in a while. We'd say, do you want to play Streets of Rage? We'd play that together. That was just what me and my sister played. But then if we had friends around, we would have just, we'd get out V-Rally or Colin McRae or, you know, if we had a demo, we'd have Tekken 3. Uh, we would we would play that thing to death. Um, and then... I got the PlayStation 2, which I basically would waste money on because it became a DVD player. Um, I also I also have the Nintendo DS, which is still the only console I have. But now we have blindfold games. And I read about these blindfold games. And um, I have skipped the Atari, by the way. I don't know why, but the Atari was a good games console and my mother hated it. <laughs> It was too blippy or something. I can't remember. My mother hated it. Um, I was like, um, I was like, come on, me. You know, we've played these games before. 
Because I remember when I was a kid, I used to hate the Atari, I think, because the games looked, there was no, it was just bleeps and bloops. There wasn't proper, there wasn't much going on in the game. But my first game that I played on the Atari, which was the best game that I ever played uh, to this very day, um, was because we went through all the Atari games and I just loved how they blipped and blooped. You added your own storyline. It was just, there was a lot of imagination that was there with the Atari. But my favorite Atari game was um, was Pitfall. And it was a racing game. And I would play that for hours. You know, I'd have a, I'd have a, a load of, we'd have a load of Atari cartridges. I would sit there playing Atari for ages. I remember one night because my mother used to, um, I used to basically when I came home from school, I used to have, um, what was it? Um, I used to play the synthesizer because I had to play the synth. Play the drums. Oh no, we didn't have the drums then. It was play the synth because I borrowed this synth. So I'd play the synth. Um, and that. And then. Before bath time. Um, we'd have tea. And then after tea. Um, I would have to play on the Atari. But I remember I'd get up in the morning and turn the synthesizer on. I'd play the synthesizer all morning and then I'd play the Atari all morning and then I'd go have my breakfast and go to school. And then I'd come home. I would look forward to going on the synth and playing on the Atari. I remember I used to have the synthesizer on and the Atari on at the same time. <laughs> but um, I borrowed this games console and I was hooked on both things the synthesizer would be I'd use for the soundtrack and the gaming I would I did have a spell of turning the volume down on the TV so I could create my own music on the synth and play the Atari at the same time um, you know but yeah I, I think we used to fight over my sister always wanted to watch videos and stuff. She didn't have her own television in her own room yet. So, um, and We haven't come to the days of me getting up super early just so I could play a video game. <laughs> Those days would have come later on, my friend, later on. Because um, I remember one time, 
Um, we got this first game compilation, had everything on, and I would get up super early just to play Super Hang On on the Streets of Rage. Um, and Gold Max. But now, what do we have now? We have these blindfold games that have come out. And we've also got the audio game hub. Um, and there's some audio games that have come out. They're all right. Um, the Hansel and Gretel game that is, I'd say, is fantastic. Um, it is a great game. And I love being the witch on that. But I think that um, we haven't got, like, the games that they bring out, the best game that I have downloaded is Blindfold War. Still the best game. Never get bored and tired of that. Uh, and Blindfold Soccer Kick. But when it comes to, say, a decent game for visually impaired people, there just isn't one. Um, it's, uh, well, as you know, there's Blindfold Space Invaders which is a good game. Um, that's like Space Impact for anybody who's played Space Impact on their old. When I had a Nokia mobile phone, the first game that I had when I was like mobile phone gaming was Space Impact. And so I'm glad, you know, I'd say thumbs up to the blindfold people for bringing that out. But where's our... Where's our... I don't know, where's our... Um, Where's something like a Mortal Kombat game or where's, you know, any shoot 'em ups like Doom um, for blind people, you know? Um, you've got stuff like archery, you've got your slot machines, you know, but there really isn't the way of anything that's fantastically good in the way of something that I could literally play for hours and hours and hours and hours and hours and hours and hours and, hours and, and never put it down. Um, and I know they can do text adventures. Well, they could do a choose-your-own-adventure. They did do it with Hansel and Gretel. Why can't they do it with, say, something like, um, you know, uh, choose-your-own-adventure, um, like, Choose your own adventure, Star Wars, or I mean, why couldn't they not make a blindfold dark room? You know, that would be quite fantastic to do. Um, you know, um, actually, the people that do the Hansel and Gretel game, they're that's not Mal Marty Schultz, that's somebody else. I think it's the Blind University of Limburg. I'm not answering that door because it's the postman. And they'll want me to sign for a dreaded parcel. Yeah. So, um, I'm talking about games, aren't I? 
so yeah, where's our decent games that we should be getting? Um, I don't think we're going to get anything that's... Uh, I don't think blind people are going to get any, any decent games yet because um, they're all trying to make people fit in with the Facebook market. Why? You know? I mean, these choose your own adventure games, we might see something decent happening with those. But probably they'll just be kids' stories. I can't see anything amazingly happening. And the people that make these games, not the blindfold ones, Marty Schultz, because I did have a discussion with Marty Schultz over email, and I said, <clears throat> we want um, something on the lines of C64 games. He was like, what? I was like, have you ever played the C64, Commodore? And he's like, oh, yeah, I have. And I was like, well... Could you not give us something like, you know, on the lines of a C64 game? I, I did ask for Space Invaders and they made Space Invaders, which was good. Um, yeah, but they're not making it. I mean, it's all kind of geared, geared to sort of three or four year olds. They're not looking at the market of people that really want games. I, I would love to make a game where it's a choose your own adventure and it's like um, like a horror sort of game. You know, like you're in a prison cell. Do you choose to fight the guards or do you choose to stay in your cell? Something like that, you know? Um, I mean, they could do a Star Wars one with real voice acting. But the audio game hub is he's got better games than the Blindfold series. And some of the Blindfold series has better games than the audio game hub. Um, it just depends what you're after. Uh, I mean, Marty Schultz, he's quite good and he's easy to communicate with. And um, I do love speaking with him because um, he has played the Atari. So when we talk about like stuff like Dig Dug, he's like, I can't really code stuff like that. I'm like, okay, well, how about, I mean, he brought Pong and Breakout and Space Invaders. Um, they could do Defender, Blindfold Defender. Um, that's probably an easy game to code. Or Blindfold Dragster. <laughs> uh, well, they've got Blindfold Racer, but I think Blindfold Dragster. The problem with Blindfold Racer is it's 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 not it's not the racing game you you would expect. Um, it's not really what you would call a racing game. Oh, it's 
if you're five or six, it's a game that, you know, you probably could call a racing game. But, uh, yeah, once you've seen racing game with proper car sounds in and stuff like that, it really, it really, it really, I don't know. Um, yeah, we need... I mean, I understand a lot of it's family friendly as well, uh, which it's it, it's hard to get towards family friendly material all the time, and material that's going to be fun. Obviously, I think Audio Game Hub goes for the same material, but I really would love to see a game that's developed for visually impaired that we can sit down and love and adore hi guys um oh yeah so we're in the temperance hall and you know how we spoke of um fire alarms last week Where's my cane, please, brother? Can you pass it me? Can you pass it me quick, please? Quick. Can you pass it me? Like, now? Right. Just pass it me folded. Yeah. Right. I'm going to go out there, right? Um... So for those who wanted fire alarms, we're inside the temperance hall and the fire alarm is just going off. You're going to waft it. Ask it. I'm gonna waft it. Oh right, well what's happened? So two again. Well that won't work.
It's a very alarming situation, this. Gillian! Hey! Go straight down the ear, though. Sorry. Right. No, I wasn't shouting. Gillian's in the other part. Oh, right. Right. No, I just thought something. Could you not go to uh, the flat next door and see if Ashley's in? Ashley? Yeah. I can't go away. Oh, sorry, Anne. Sorry, Anne. Jillian? Could you not go to um, the flat next door? You know where... Um, see if Ashley's in. He might know how to reset it. Best thing is to stay back here, innit? <laughs> Sorry folks, I'm just going for a wee. Somebody set that off. Right, stick with us, folks. Yeah, I'm gonna go. Can you say? Yeah, I'm gonna go. You need what? 
answering
What are we doing uh, now? No, I'll just get the 49, it'll be fine. No, I'll get the 49, it'll be fine. <laughs>